Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Biddick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Episode 13 features combat veteran and musician Doc Todd. His recent album called Combat Medicine is dedicated to personal healing and restoration. On his website at therealdoctod.com, he describes how the album is intended to give veterans a voice and inform everyday Americans about the real struggles facing our former service members as they transition into their civilian lives. He seeks to directly impact the veteran suicide, mental health, and personal transition spaces. His effort has not gone unnoticed as CNN, the VA, National Public Radio, and numerous local news affiliates regularly ask him to speak, perform, and contribute to the national dialogue about mental health and related services for veterans. During this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast, he shares his insights into his battle with addiction, his experiences coping with the effects of combat as a corpsman deployed to Afghanistan during the global war on terror, mental health challenges veterans face, perceived gaps in the military healthcare and VA systems, and personal accountability when it comes to mental health and medical health care following military service. Join me in welcoming Doc Todd. Doc, can you walk us through the process you went through as you decided to join the military? Yeah, man. For me, it was pretty impulsive. I was living in Colorado and Denver at the time, and, you know, I was making some making some good money and, and kind of was coming to the end of a, a tumultuous relationship far away from home and just thought that I really needed to do something in my life that would be impactful, that would be positive. Joined the United States Navy. And the funny thing was, one of the funny stories about it is I didn't know I was colorblind until I went through the MEPS process. I wanted to come in the Navy as a SWIC uh, operator or special warfare combatant crewman or people who are familiar with that. And I found out I was colorblind, so I had to choose between two or three jobs. It was like logistics, corpsman, and post officer yeoman. And I got it down to supply and corpsman, and I decided my my buddy had taught me, hey, you know, if you don't know how you feel about something, just, you know, flip a coin. And, and uh, I flipped a coin, and it landed on supply, and I was like, there's no way. But one of the great things about doing that is that, you know, it can kind of reveal how you feel about something when you flip a coin. And I just signed my paperwork right there, man. Like, you know, I guess I went to the recruiting office a couple times, but right in MEPS, just signed my paperwork for a job that I just found out about. So I didn't really have a lot of a of a plan. I wanted to be SWIC, and then that couldn't happen. So I just adjusted fire and, and moved on. And then after you received your training, you received orders to deploy to Helmand Province in southern Afghanistan with the 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, during right. uh, Operation Kanjar in May 2009. It was supposed to mean striking the sword in past June, and it was the initial part of our invasion into southern Afghanistan, and then it was bottled up into Operation Enduring Freedom after the initial point of entry, which was Kanjari. Can you describe what your unit's mission was? We were to seize and take control of the enemy. That was pretty simple. 
we wanted to control the civilian population and we wanted to push the Taliban out of that area in the Helmand River Valley and then deliver a diplomatic or democratic election process to the people. So we were to seize control of the territory from the Taliban, liberate the people, and allow for an election uh, to take place. As you look back on your experiences in Afghanistan, can you share what goes through the mind of a young man tasked with being a medic with a group of United States Marines going into combat? Yeah, man, uh, I knew people were going to die. Like, I didn't know what the Marines thought or knew. I know that, that everybody knew southern Afghanistan in 2009 was a more kinetic and dangerous environment than Iraq was at that time. I was junior. Like, I had never deployed. So I was just going off a lot about, like, what the senior guys were saying that just got off a pump or two, like – because 2A had just got back from Ramadi, and it was pretty light as far as their expectations as infantry Marines about what they were going to experience or in Iraq. And I don't want to say it was like a throwaway deployment. It just wasn't a really rough deployment. And those guys had just got off that deployment to Ramadi, and everybody knew that things were shifting gears into Afghanistan, and that's kind of where the fight was. And there was the majority of our Marines, the majority of those individuals wanted that fight. That's what they wanted. That's what they signed up to do was protect America. They were excited about the opportunity to go to Afghanistan, but we were very, although there was excitement about the opportunity, there was also a pretty palpable understanding that people were going to die. So we didn't know who and how and when, but we knew the significance of what we were getting into. During that time, you used humor in your music to keep the Marine spirits up during this deployment. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we used to. <laughs> we, I mean, you know, we have fun. We definitely made light of situations and things and time. And yeah, I tried to keep the spirits up. But I, but the album that I cut, Combat Medicine, the one that's out now, is a very serious project. Like United was a serious project too, but, but there was a lot more levity in United and comedy and kind of like you know, I was in the moment. I was younger, you know, I was twenty three, twenty four years old. You know, I'm an older man now. So yeah, we definitely were like I was say there was a lot more of a comedic edge to my personality than when I was in the service and I was seven, eight, nine years younger, for sure. Could you revisit any kind of experiences that you went through during that deployment, which were pivotal in forging your future drive to create combat medicine? Yeah, I mean, there were probably two or two or three. I, I won't get into deep detail on these stories, but, you know, obviously, first and foremost, First day we're operating over there, my roommate was killed in action. Uh, that was a massive eye-opening experience very early into the deployment. I think the volume of firefights, this is not what inspired my music, but I think it's something that I didn't have a concept for until I went through the, how long a firefight can be. It's like mm-hmm. on the movies and stuff, it's just like, oh, like five minutes, and then you're like right back to shooting the stuff. It's like, man, we had some engagements that were like nine, ten, eleven hours sometimes, and it's just like exhausting. And I think the the level of physical exhaustion that we experienced at times was was a surprise to me. The op tempo was serious, and the the post patrol rest patterns that those guys were going through with the engagement with the QRF, and those guys were monsters, man. You know, I had to do my fair share of stuff over there, but some of the op tempo stuff was just like whoa. And then the two bigger experiences that I carry with me I think that the big three I guess you would say would be Sharp's death and then some of the bodies that I had to deal with you know some of the corpses and injuries that I saw on individuals who were killed in action you know from Afghan army to you know our personnel trauma and, and death and then the last thing would be my medevac you know my personal experience 
you know, going through a medevac, being in ICU for seven days and recovering from that and, you know, dealing with that mentally would probably be the three takeaways from my deployment. And then after returning from combat, you saw the effects of post-traumatic stress, suicide, substance abuse, and those you served with. Can you describe what you experienced during this process and offer any guidance or insight to those who may have had similar experiences? Yeah, we just, I mean, we just had an H&S guy die from a, a drug overdose two days ago, and we've had over 10 suicides battalion-wide since we've been back. I mean, you guys just need, I mean, y'all got to go get help, man. I mean, it's just, you know, you got to go get help, and you got to find some kind of purpose in your life. Just You can't lean on drugs and alcohol to know the way that you feel about your situation. you got to deal with it because, you know, this this stuff's got to stop. You know, I mean, we're just – we're still dealing with this from, from 2009, and we'll continue to deal with it. And, you know, ain't, there's nothing wrong with having problems and having feelings. There is something wrong with accepting that and never going to get the help and care that you need to get better. My social media is popping. Like, people talk to me all the time, like – and they're asking me for help, and it's like, man, I'll talk to you. You know, I talk to people on my IG. I talk to people on, like, I don't ignore anybody, but, like, I can't help you from 900 miles away and, you know, raise my family and, and put out the music that I'm doing in the books and trying to help people where I'm trying to help. You got to go get help, man. You know, I can't save your life through a text message. People, they want to be better, so it's like that it's that optimism and I'm not trying to over talk, but like I call it uninformed optimism. It's, I'm an addict, right? Like I'm, I'm an addict. My name is George M. Todd and I'm an addict, right? So like I can't do certain things ever because I'm incapable of using with moderation because I'm an addict. And when you're an addict, when you first quit, when you first get clean, you have this state of euphoria almost like anything is possible, like you can do it and it's going to be easy and it's like the power's all with you and it's only a decision and all this like law of attraction, like I'm the master of my own destiny nonsense. And then you realize, hey, it's going to be like really effing hard to get clean. And, um, you know, that state of uninformed optimism and then that kind of that valley of despair or that like wake up call that inevitably comes after things get harder than they felt like they would be for a second when you were super inspired. And people just get caught in the cycle and don't realize like, hey, you have to break the cycle. Like you've got to get to the other side of that pain or you're just going to keep repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And you're never going to quit doing dope or you're never going to quit drinking if you have a problem drinking or you're never going to get the help that you need because you're going to always run into that wall. That wall is there for a reason. you got to break through it. The opening of your album, Combat Medicine, you say, I'm going to be wide open. I'm going to risk everything. Uh, to do something for you all. This clearly addressed to the combat veterans, those who are in need of support, a world where 22 veterans a day take their own lives. This gives me chills when I hear you say that because in my mind it's basically you're still running into the gunfire to get your guys to safety, to render aid, to put their pieces back together. It's just that the wounds that you're addressing are the ones that can't be seen. They're the hearts and minds. And then the album follows where you pretty much unleash everything you've got to help bring healing and wholeness you're basically, yeah. basically, you're basically still upholding your vow to bring your guys back, right? I mean, instead of using tourniquets and chest seals and sutures, you're using music, faith, empathy, and outreach to get in there and prevent isolation that can be just as lethal as an IED. Absolutely. I mean, the, the objective is to save lives, you know what I mean? And the objective is to bring our nation's heroes' voice. I, I don't think that we're voiceless. Like, I don't think that at all. Like, I think we have a lot of powerful voices in this space. Mm -hmm. Like, we have 
a lot of great role models and people like you and what you're doing and stuff as well. Like I think that we don't have a shortage of leaders and we don't have a shortage of resources and we don't have a shortage of powerful motivators. You know, if we looked at the military as like an occupation or a training ground or like a school, we would say like, y'all are putting out broken codependent people. Why are we looking at the VA for all these problems when the military's putting these products back out in the marketplace? Like, what are we doing in the post-military transition space prior to the VA to help these folks? Because this is the product that's coming out. And, it, and, and I'm not saying it's that individual's fault. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it could be the military's fault. It could be the system's fault. It could be a lot of people's fault. we got to take individual accountability for our actions and our choices and our productivity when we get out. And, of course, we have to take individual responsibility for our health. And if we're unhealthy and we need help, then we need to go get help because there's people depending on us to be productive, functioning human beings. But there's a codependency and brokenness factor to the to the young men and women that are getting put back into the civilian world. And I think the transition process is broken not only on the VA side. I think it's broken on the military side. You can't go do the stuff that we did and throw us in steps and taps for two weeks or ten days right before you send us on post-deployment leave and think that, like, oh, yeah, we're going to be, like, ready to rock and roll when we get out here. Like, please. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I'm trying to save lives. It's not even that. I'm trying to empower individuals to save their own life. I think that would be a better way to put it. I'm not a doctor anymore. I'm not, like, sticking, you know, a plug and stopping bleeding and, and mm-hmm. you know, dealing with blasts and burns. If I can wake you up enough to understand that you have some control in your life and that you can affect positive outcome in your life, then I think that that would be my role as a conduit, like just a conduit to the right frame of mind. The right resources. To dig into that a little bit on your transition into the civilian side, my understanding is that you began to pursue a career in wealth management after your mm-hmm. service, and then something happened to make you pivot your plan. Can you go into yeah. your, your why a little bit, and as well, far as what I'm led you to kidding. deviate from the wealth management into the creating music to serve those who serve? No, no, I love that language, by the way, man. To my why, I think that's an important, that's amazingly well said because. My why defines my life now, you know, like I understand what it is that I'm born to do. And I think that that's an important realization in anyone's life is to understand what it is that uniquely positioned and capable of doing. And I think this is it for me. Empowering veterans through music and literature to empower their own lives is is my lane. That's a wonderful thing to know. Unfortunately, that lane's not paying me any money. (laughs) I had to to go to school, man, bro. So to answer your question – I had to go to school, like so. I was uh, I was not college educated. I know a lot of people who are enlisted either had bachelor's degrees and just wanted to be enlisted for some crazy reason, or they had two or three years of college. I knew a lot of guys that were. I was a little bit older. I didn't go in at eighteen. Most of the guys that went in at my age had some college under their belt. I had none. So to answer your question, my transition consisted of me getting in school. Pretty quick, I went and studied at Georgia State University. I studied economics and policy while I was working full-time at a hospital. I was working at a local hospital here in Atlanta and going to school for economics and policy. Would have gone to school for emergency medicine, nursing, or a PA, but here was a, this was a problem that I don't – I think they've solved this, but existed when I was matriculating through school. I didn't get any college service credit whatsoever for my medical service service in the military and i wasn't doing things that civilian nurses can't do and i didn't get three or four credit hours for some anatomy class i mean i had no credit so i decided 
that that market is where the jobs were in '09. I mean, we were still kind of like coming out of the recession, and one of like the most desirable things to study in school that had the best job placement was medical stuff, like surgical tech, medical field, nurse, EMT, like all that stuff. So those programs were like super saturated, hard to get into, blah blah blah, very bureaucratic. I wasn't getting any credit, so I just decided to go a different direction. So I studied economics and, and public policy and graduated from Georgia State while working close to full-time. I was working about 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week, and going to school full-time. I got out of there, took an internship, the wealth management, boutique wealth management firm called Go and Wright in Atlanta, Georgia. Did that. I was an intern there my senior year. Was one of the top performing consultative, like young financial consultative salespeople in, in the company. Got offered a full-time role there. Worked there for three years. So that's all that, like really fast. And then what happened was I had a uh, an NFL. I had a couple NFL guys that Falcons guys that were clients of mine, and um, in the personal wealth management space, I had, a, had one client. I won't say his name, but he um, he passed away. He died. He. he he fell on the sidewalk racing his son. He was a retired Atlanta Falcons player, died of an acute epidural hematoma. I think he was like 37 years old, 38 years old. I went to pay the death claim on his life insurance policy, went to his funeral in Baltimore, went to pay the claim and spent some time with some friends in Philadelphia because I didn't have any connections in Baltimore. And while I was in Philadelphia, just, I mean, I can't say it was anything short of like a like a walk in the road, life-changing, like religious experience type situation. The city of Philly just reminded me that you don't have to be like, you know, a preppy white guy, you know, selling insurance and investment products and like kind of like that life like you have here in Atlanta where it's like real preppy and like traditional and something about Philly like really struck a chord with me and like made me remember like where I come from in Memphis and like made me remember my toughness and my grid and how I was raised and the need that, you know, I need to be a good person first and I need to try to impact society and all these things from my raising in my childhood and just a just a mentality like Philly just has this mentality that for whatever reason just resonated with me on such a deep level it changed my life you know I came back from Philadelphia and that experience of losing a client and having that you know more from a professional standpoint not a personal standpoint and then that trip to Philadelphia just really kind of woke me up and reminded me who I am and, and what I'm all about and it wasn't what I was doing. I came back and reset the compass did this project. I've been hemorrhaging money ever since. Um, <laughs> people, people, don't, people don't buy music even if it's good respectfully they just don't buy it. They stream it right and we don't get really paid on that and then you get these opportunities to speak and you get these opportunities to do events but you know I might say I do 15 or 20 events in a year and get paid well you know that's 340 days a year I'm looking for work you know what I mean so it's just a tough grind and and that's kind of like where I'm at now you've described in some of your lyrics how and in some of your interviews you describe how combat veterans who have gone into battle and operated at that level or they've had moments that you describe as conquering death and then you speak about wanting them to now conquer life and receive the reward of a meaningful and significant life can you speak on that a little bit I just I just don't understand logically I don't understand the mindset and I and I won't say names but I like I talk to my guys still like I'm still an active engaged corpsman like I'm engaged in the life of my Marines like I didn't forget about them you know what I mean mm -hmm. and we talk you know like this idea of like oh that round should have hit me or 
you know, I should have done this and 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 Crowbot would be here. I, I could have done that, and Sharp would be here, or Lasher, or Zarios. And it's like, what are you talking about, man? You survived some unthinkable stuff. You're conquered death, like you're here. You didn't do anything wrong to be here. And I don't understand that. Like, and it's just like you beat the odds. Like you've beat the odds so many times. Like where most people would be like, woo. Like, God bless, like, I almost got hit by that bus, but I didn't get hit by that bus. Praise God. Ooh, I didn't get hit by the bus. I'm a bad person. You didn't get hit by the bus. You're a bad person. Like, what are you What are you talking about? That's the conquering death part that I just don't understand. Like, it, I feel like it should be empowering or liberating, and it's not. You just escape death. You should be breathing a sigh of relief, right? But it's destroying you on the inside. My whole thing is attack life. Don't be a passive observer in life. I struggle with this. I have to remind myself. And sometimes people who are afflicted make the the best teachers. Like, you've got to attack your life. I still haven't met a Marine. And I talk about Marines because that's just who I serve with. But I, I, I'm not leaving anybody out. That's just my experience. But I, I haven't met a veteran Marine that's going to the gym five days a week and eating clean that's struggling like crazy. I hadn't met a veteran Marine that's doing that stuff and working 50 hours a week and is a breadwinner for his family and the beacon of hope for his wife and kids is having problems like that. You know, I meet people who aren't attacking their life that are having problems like that. You know, the idle hands are the devil's playground. And some of this stuff, we just got to attack. We just got to wake up and trying to get myself back into that mode from a physical fitness perspective. Like you got to attack your life. You got to attack your occupation. You've got to attack your fitness. You've got to attack your diet. You've got to attack these things in your life because I'm telling you, I deal with in this space every single day. I deal in the mental health and the productivity space, and the veterans that I see that are doing the best are attacking their life. They're attacking their job. They're attacking their gym. They're attacking their diet. They're on with their wives and kids. They're attacking their day. When I'm struggling, I'm not attacking my life, and I'm not attacking my day. So I'm just trying to tell people to attack the day. That's it. Is there any song or lyric or anything that you'd like to direct your listeners to? That would empower them in that process and getting past survivor's guilt or getting past isolation or getting past anything that's holding them down so that they can get back up. Is there any song that you would direct them to? The workout songs on the record, if you want to attack the gym, I think our attention, I think All We Got Is Us kind of is because it's just like an anthem about who we are. And I think it's a good gym song. I think Attention is probably the best gym song on the record or Lay Em Down. Lay Em Down is kind of like a reminder that you can be tough. Like, it's okay to be tough. Like, I like, you know, kind of make fun of rappers and one of these. Like, you think you know about gunfights? Let me talk to you about guns. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of like Lay Em Down. Attention is just a call to action. I think the tear jerkers on the record are not alone. I disappear. Never get them back. Never get them back. It's about survivor's guilt. It's about losing friends. It's about disconnecting from the brothers that you serve with. I disappear is about my medevac and it's about feeling dead like you're a dead man walking like you don't have the desire to attack today and you don't have anything to give and then ptsd i think is just kind of like a mind meld but but for me the inspirational stuff on there is some of the tougher stuff to take but i think it's gonna i think it's all personal like it depends on you i really appreciate you taking time out and sharing this with me i'm I'm a fan of your music and i'm a fan of what you're doing i always end the show with six quick questions to help my audience gain an understanding about how phenomenal people think and operate would you mind running through them with me yeah all right who are you thankful for today my wife abby abby b talk what are you thankful for today 
My health. How do you fuel the fire within you? I'm hard on myself. I would say evaluation, self-evaluation. What was one thing that adversity has taught you to value? That it can't destroy you permanently if you don't let it. And what are you doing today you never thought you could? I'm working on another project. Got a three o'clock meeting with the producer, so we're starting to put together the next project, which will serve veterans and will serve other people. But this one's about me because combat medicine beat me up so bad like I gave so much of myself and I it hurt me Ben man dude it hurt me man that project like it, it was so important and it did so much good in my life but it also hurt me so bad too because mm. I gave so much and 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 up to this point as far as like on a daily life basis on a personal and spiritual level I've gotten a lot back and then so on a monetary sustainability day in day out life take care of the family it's been the hardest year of my life it's been the hardest thing i've ever and um and i did all that with a heart for other people i really did i'm not just saying that i did that with a heart for other people and this little record that i'm working on right now is, is to try to heal me because i know that if i'm not operating on 100 percent, that i can't help other people and i got to get myself back right if that makes sense absolutely my last question is what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could i don't know yet but I can't wait to find out. Doc, I appreciate your mission and your investment in serving, even to this day. And thank you for taking time out for the Get Nation podcast. How can people learn more about you and your music? Mostly on Instagram, I think, pretty much. I'm on the other ones, but I don't really pay attention to them. I'm at the Real Doc Todd on Instagram, and my website is therealdoctod.com. Thank you, Doc Todd, and for all the Marines you served with for your sacrifices. May we as a nation ensure our veterans receive the services they need. And may we hold each other accountable to overcome the challenges associated with surviving combat, especially including the unseen wounds. May the United States of America leave no one behind, especially when it comes to those who volunteer to serve in its armed forces. May we honor the fallen by creating a free society that values, cherishes, and empowers each life that graces our company throughout the moments we live and breathe. When that flag waves, may each person know that it waves for them and their dreams, and that nothing can stop us if we keep getting up.